I'm Anthony Penn. Welcome to Pen Drop. My guest today is Valerie Kessel Oliver, and she is the Sydney and Francis Lewis Family Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. She serves on the editorial board of Callaloo Journal of African Diasporic Arts and Letters, as well as the Smithsonian's National Archives. She's also the recipient of the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College's Award for Curatorial Excellence. And what the director said sums up everything you need to know about this genius. He wrote, Valerie should be considered one of America's great thought leaders, a curator who constantly surprises, enlightens, and broadens the scope of art. So let's let's start this way. Give us a sense of what led you to the art world. Uh, what was that moment or series of happenings that made it clear to you you were a curator? Well, you know, the, the term curator didn't, it didn't have a place in my life growing up. I didn't know what a curator was. I knew very little about museums except being loaded on a bus and driven to one and walked through and things pointed here and there. But it was a mystery how things happened in museums. It wasn't until I was out of undergraduate school working in a small arts organization. I was a program coordinator, and I began working with artists to do small shows there. And yeah, the terminology curator did not come into my realm until I was much older. But what led me to the arts was theater. I love theater, and I Ah. came through... um, through the arts in high school and even junior high school as a, as a you know, focused on theater and, and acting and writing. And so that was that was my first entree into the art world. But but the visual arts didn't come until much, much later. Say, say a bit more about when and how the visual arts came into play. Well, it, it was in that small, it was the Black Arts Alliance. I was a program coordinator there. I My parents would not pay for me to get a degree in the arts, in theater. So I did the thing that I knew to do, which was to gravitate to something that allowed me to be with other people and to talk to other people and to to learn their stories and to share their stories on on a greater platform. And so working in public relations, working in journalism. So I gravitated toward the communication school. Then I got this this job at this small Black arts organization called the Black Arts Alliance. And I was able to work with theater artists and dancers and all creatives in all, all manners of ways that people express themselves. And the visual arts just sort of came as an aside because the artists were like, well, what do we get? And they created this small gallery, and I started programming for the gallery and began going into artist studios and seeing how they work and realizing that the language that they used and how they created and the experimentation that existed in the studios were so compelling. So that that's what really drove me to the visual arts. It wasn't until we did a statewide exhibition, we invited a guest curator to come 
And that guest curator happened to be the incoming chair of the Department of Art at Howard University, Dr. Floyd Coleman. And he said, what are you guys doing here? Why are you, why are you just sitting here in, in Austin, Texas? You need to be putting your brains and your efforts onto a much larger platform. I want you to come to Howard University. I want you to go to graduate school. And I want you to go out in the world and really do the things that I know you're capable of doing. And that that really led me into studying art history and really thinking much broader in terms of how one can impact the field at large. So kind of thinking about your movement into the art world and your relationship with artists, and then you kind of move through various uh, jobs and positions, what have been some of the challenges, right? The, the art world is not without its issues with respect to race and gender. And how have these things come into play and, and how have you maneuvered so successfully? Well, I've had many lives in the field. And I think approaching it from all these different perspectives gave me the ability to navigate it in an interesting way. I went to Howard. I didn't come out as a curator. I actually became a program specialist at the National Endowment for the Arts. So I was on the funding side of it. I was a program officer. A lot of the people that I met in that period are the same people I work with today. So the art world for the largesse that it is, it's also very small. Uh, after I left the NEA, I worked with the um, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. That's where I met a lot of young artists in their very early phases of maturing and coming into their own selves. People like Sanford Biggers and Jenny C. Jones. Um, Angel Otero went to the School of the Art Institute, though I didn't know him. So it's building these relationships. And at the heart of anything are relationships and relationship building. So that has enabled me to navigate. And and it has been challenging. Um, When I came uh, into the practice of being a curator, there were very few curators of African-American descent working in mainstream museums. Very few indeed. Um, And Houston was very interesting at that time because I came to Houston in 2000, came back to Houston in 2000. But at that time, Alvia Wartlaw was at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, and they had hired Franklin Sermons at the Manil. So in one city, you had three curators working at major, major museums. That was unheard of and and a Mm. rarity. Uh, So Houston was very interesting in the sense that it was very progressive in that way to have these voices sitting at the table. There had not really, in 1969, I believe, um, I mean, you have your early instances of curators working in mainstream museums, and that's places like MoMA with Keniston McShine, Mm -hmm. Howardina Pendel. uh, But up until that point, You know, you have people of color working primarily in institutions, uh, community-based institutions. So it it was really uh, a fraught. Museums have always been fraught. They've never been neutral. Uh, And they've all been spaces where they've they've had moments where they've been challenged. 
uh, the Metropolitan Museum. I mean, um, their Harlem on My Mind exhibition is always held up as the sort of lightning rod of what happens when you're creating exhibitions about communities without those voices at the table. So I imagine you are in conversation with a whole lot of folks. I mean, you're moving through the world. So all of this has to generate questions and ideas that are compelling. How do you determine which idea can support an exhibition? It's an interesting question. I, I, I don't really go back and forth. I mean, oftentimes there are the mechanics of museums in which you may bounce ideas off of other colleagues. Um, There may be, when I do come up with an idea for an exhibition, that actually goes first to my boss, who's the deputy director. And then uh, that then goes forward to a larger sort of exhibitions committee. Um, You can call them a lot of different things, but oftentimes they involve admin, marketing, art handling, registrars. It's it's a combination of a lot of different departments that actually make the museum work. And you pitch this idea. Oftentimes, by the time it gets to that point, the idea is approved on certain levels. So what you're looking for are the strengths, the weaknesses, the challenges, um, strategies in which to get the idea forward, outward, funding for the project. So it does go through a series. I, I would imagine in publishing through academia, you actually go through certain peer-level reviews. It's similar in that respect, uh, except you're really looking internally at how resources are going to be shepherded for, for a project. And so that goes forward. And it's not really, I, I don't generally workshop ideas. There are people who do, there are curators who do workshop ideas, but for the most part, when I conceive an idea, I, I conceive of it in its totality. I, I really, um, maybe it's just a gift where it is oftentimes articulated in a way that, that moves it forward. It may be a query, uh, but oftentimes it's on point. Uh, it may be about the experimentation with materials. It may be a response to how artists work. It may be a response to things that are happening uh, in a societal way. But it, it is a complete articulation. I've not had a situation in which I've placed forward something in which they've said, this doesn't really work. So I don't have the experience of that. And I don't know of other curators who've had um, the experience of that. It, it tends to be, we pay you to come up with the ideas, we trust you, so let's see how we can manifest this. Um, and we can workshop it, and we can streamline it in terms of these larger groups to say how can we market it, how can we build audience audiences off of this project, how can we do this, how can we do that. That's hopeful, and I'm, I'm, I am I want to uh, dig into that a bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the process before you present the idea to anyone, right? Just in terms of your own internal process, how do you determine which ideas can, which ideas ought to be made public in this way and which ideas are just, they're cool, they're interesting, but you need to keep it to yourself? 
Oh, I'm I'm an open book. I mean, when I I mean, it, the the project just comes as the project. I, I I don't I don't know if I can articulate it any other way. It, it is okay. just what it is. I I don't have a um, I don't write down things as they come as options. It's like when it comes, it comes. It is fully articulated. It's like, okay, now the Dirty South, for instance, that mm-hmm. that is an interesting one. It 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 had its seats in Houston. I was working on it at the Contemporary Arts Museum when I worked there, and it was an exhibition that would in, integrate the sonic and the visual together, but it was primarily all contemporary artwork. It was all contemporary artists working today, sort of bouncing off this idea of contemporary Southern hip hop and that whole generation. It was a generational view. Coming here to Virginia, working at this museum, which is an encyclopedic museum, um, so we have history at our feet. And whereas I would point to something or write about something to say, there's a kind of connection here across geography or time, here I had the opportunity to actually put that in the same room with contemporary artists. And so it sort of expanded, and it expanded in a way that was quite organic. It made sense to expand it. And mm-hmm. um, when I presented it, I didn't present the initial idea. I presented it as something that was more expansive, that crossed more points of, of geography in the South, that um, integrated different generations, different modes of working. And so, but it came as an organic expansion of the original idea. And, and so from idea to the exhibition opening to the public, what's the time frame? It can be as long as five years. Some people work on things for 10 years. Um, ten years. Ten years. It's a thesis wow. in and of itself. It, it's it's it, it is their swan song. It is their PhD for a lot of people because it may take that long to do the research, to do the development. But there, I mean, for this particular idea, I, I moved here in 2017. I came with the project, a certain kind of iteration of the project. It developed through research over a period of maybe a year and a half, two years. And then the execution of it happened within maybe a year, two-year period. So from reaching out to artists to producing the catalog to opening up to the, the general public, I would say that would have been a five-year period working in varying degrees on this project. So it can take up to five years. Some some exhibitions are quite, you know, responsive to the moment. And you can put an exhibition together in a matter of six months to a year. It depends on what there are many types of institutions. And various institutions have different time frames with them. Some move slower. Encyclopedic museums generally move quite slowly. If you can imagine a, a cruise ship, you know, um, with its length and breadth turning versus a small uh, catamaran turning. It's, it's really that kind of one-to-one in terms of, of, of length of time and reflex, you know, the ability to be reflexive in the moment. 
Uh, so some institutions can move really quite quickly. CAM was very much like that. You could um, organize an exhibition and execute it within um, a 12-month period. Here, because of the different departments and necessity to get on calendars and schedules, those things take a lot longer. I think this is really important to know um, because folks like me, you walk into the exhibition and you really don't have any sense of the thought process. You don't have any sense of the labor. You don't have any sense of, of what it took to reach that point. And so I, I find this I find this really helpful. I'm I'm also curious. So if you think in terms of the exhibitions uh, you've been responsible for, is there a kind of general goal you have in mind? Right? Is there is there a particular type of takeaway you want those who come to view to leave with? Generally, yes. Oftentimes. For exhibitions that focus on a particular artist's work, the arc of their work, I want them to think about that artist in general, um, who oftentimes have gone under-recognized in the larger field. For people who are just coming to the museum who don't know art history, I would hope that they would see the uh, persistence of an artist creative expression, and how it shifts and changes over time. I hope they're engaged with how that artist works. For more thematic exhibitions, um, such as, say, Cinema Remixed and Reloaded, that I did with um, Dr. Andrea Bonneville-Brownlee, it was about the evolution of the moving image in a museum space. You know, moving images, film, video comes into museum practices in the 1970s. Primarily what gets pressed forward in terms of the history of this medium or genre in the museum is that it's primarily white men who are creating works of art in this particular uh, medium and, and material. However, what we did was to focus on black women working with the moving image. So it was both about the evolution of the moving image in the white cube, so to speak, but also the fact that there were black women who were working with experimental videos, who were doing experimental film, who were really uh, playing with the moving image. So playing with that, how does one present the moving image in the white cube? Um, so it was both saying, this is the evolution of this, this uh, material within the white cube. But then these are also practitioners that you oftentimes don't think about as developing works of art in this manner. So there's an embedded in this then a kind of social and cultural critique. And the critique, it seems to me, involves on some level forcing the recognition and the visibility of those who have been marginalized and rendered invisible. Absolutely. And that is, that is my North Star. That, that's what I do. 
And, and primarily, it is building that repository, because if you think about, in particular, African-American art history, is still so much that's underknown. And part of it is to build a repository. Part of it is to provide a library, if you will, of information for generations of artists to come, for generations of individuals, black, white, regardless of their ethnic background, who could understand and appreciate the contributions of artists who are working um, from this particular cultural space. So, and it's varied. It's not flat. It's not a monolith. So you get the complexity of that as well. You framed a question about museums being church, uh, whether it's a church. I think of museums as libraries. You have to contribute to that repository in order for people to understand, to appreciate. Um, it has the capacity as any art form to to transcend conversations and notions of difference. Uh, and because of that, you have this entree to understanding and shifting perception and perspectives that ordinarily are not offered uh, to someone just in a one-to-one -one dialogue. Art has the capacity to do that. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really powerful to be able to present uh, artists and give them a platform to do exactly that. It strikes me in some ways that one could argue that art is always political, but not necessarily like uh, in the way that folks like Du Bois meant, making a certain social point, right, um, a certain policy point, but rather that to the extent that art, as you have made it available to us, speaks the humanity of populations who've often been questioned and marginalized. And in showing their creativity, you show something of our deep humanity, our worth, our value, that we rightfully occupy time and space. And this occupation of time and space comes with something. It holds the larger society accountable. Absolutely. The myth of the artist is someone who is hermetically sealed in a studio. And nothing else matters. They are just focused on the creation of work. But that is a myth. Artists are citizens of this world. They put their pants on. They walk <laughs> out into the world. They, it, they have encounters. And the things that they create are reflective of the totality of who they are. It may be an offshoot of an encounter that makes them begin to think in terms of how do I respond to this in a visual way? That's a language that I'm comfortable with. That's a gift that I've been given. Nick Cave, for instance, after seeing the, the beating of Rodney King, mm -hmm. came up with this idea of the sound suit. That was mm -hmm. a direct response to seeing a man such as himself, a black man being brutally beaten by the LAPD. And so it is like, what would armature look like? How could I disguise myself? Mm -hmm. What would it look like if I moved around in something that was protective?
Beverly Buchanan was responding to the the disappearance, the erasure of communities in rural areas that were once black townships, and erasure around um, simple economic attrition. People would leave. People would leave, and and cities or towns would just they would just die. What she was creating through the Little Shacks, through um, the Fristerloh series, were monuments and memorials to those spaces that no longer exist. And so artists are always responding. It may not be a complete narrative that we can enter into and know the complete story. Sometimes they're fractured. Sometimes there are only little fragments that they provide to us but they are responding to the world around them. I think something about our conversation begs the question of values and how values get expressed artistically. Uh, so I'm wondering if you would just if you would talk a little bit about the kind of social values that you have uh, worked to highlight in exhibitions. And let's let's start with the Dirty South, right? What are some of the social values, the values of Black folks that you've worked to highlight? Well, that we're still here. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, against all odds, you know that there is. There is the, the understanding of oneself in spite of, of a framing that others would like to present. It is a, it is a, a value of uh, joy, of belief, of labor. There are multiplicity of values, of, of, of giving back from one generation to the next, of protection, you know, there, there, there is the core of understanding that we persist in spite of forces that would want to eradicate. And so how do we uh, retain a particular kind of dignity and way of moving through the world? How do we project a kind of existence beyond the moment that we live in? And how do we protect generations coming behind us and infuse within them the understanding that they not only belong, but they have opportunities to thrive in spite of it all. So there is the sense of persistence and preservation um, that exists and, and joy that comes out of what should be trauma and tragedy. It's not sitting within that, and it's not allowing those things to dominate or to dictate how we move through the world. That is powerful. One of the things I also appreciate about your work is that it makes clear that the effort of African-Americans to express themselves and to, to place themselves in the world, to speak their existence in the world, takes a variety of forms, right? It is not just the written word, that we have been creative in that way. We have made use of what we could get our hands on and reworked it so as to make it tell our story. That's it. No matter what. And there's something quite extraordinary about that. I was having a conversation with Red Moten 
And I thought that it was taking the cast off and creating something out of nothing. That it was this idea of recovering. And something Fred said that was very interesting, that was staring me right in the face. I don't know why I didn't see it. He said it is a refusal to, to see the lack of something. It is a refusal to see that trash is trash. That's something to be thrown away. It's very nuanced, but it's very different in its perspective. And I think that feeds into the larger idea of seeing ourselves. Oftentimes people would want to throw us away, so to speak. And it is a refusal to accept the lack, the fact that individuals or things are disposable. Nothing is disposable. Everything, if it is the original idea of recycling, then let it be that, whether it's recycling of human beings human spirits or objects but it is it is a refusal to see the lack in something which i think in and of itself is pretty extraordinary yeah that that is good stuff that is good stuff i as i think about the dirty south and particularly the hip-hop dimension it, it also seems to me what gets highlighted is the way in which african americans have signified right this process of signifying is a cultural value that we highlight, right? That we've taken things, we've twisted them, we've turned them on our heads. Think about the ways in which the DJ makes use of the record, uses the record against the intended use, uses the turntable against the intended use. Uh, And so there are ways in which it seems to me that we have created an alternate space for ourselves through this kind of process of alteration or or signifying, right? Exposing and shifting that we as a collective, we've been the trickster. It is exactly that. It is a willful misuse. And because of that, it keeps a certain kind of vernacular. Like we have a language. It may be a language that's not used extensively, by a large swaths of the black community, but we know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. even if we may know, not know the specificity of something. You know, it is like, oh, yeah, I that's familiar. Uh, so it is about willfully misusing something as a, as a point of misdirection. In other words, I don't want everybody to know what it is that I'm talking about. I want to select few people to know what it is I'm talking about. Uh, and so that that generally takes hold. I love the idea of of the DJ and music and how hip hop, in in particular, if I'm talking about Houston, DJ screw, you know, this Mm -hmm. idea of slowing down time, bending time. You know, I, I was trying to articulate that in my essay, bending time as if people who are singing bend notes. There is a particular cultural athleticism, you know, there there's the way that we can utilize time to slow it down, to speed it up, to mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. really touch upon a certain kind of feeling, to hit a particular type of feeling of knowingness. It, it is something familiar, deeply familiar, that we connect with. Typically, you go into an exhibit, there aren't arrows on the ground telling you you have to move this way or look at this piece first or look at this piece next. But is there some advice you can provide folks concerning 
how they should ready themselves to experience an exhibition? Yeah, just open yourself up. Sometimes there's a psychology of how people move through space. And being in a museum, we're, we're aware because it's sheer observation. When a person walks in the room, do they tend to walk to the right? Do they tend to walk to the left? You can create or design an installation very much like people put sidewalks. Now, I have a problem with people who put sidewalks in because half the time they're putting them into places where people don't walk. And you can see where people walk. They create a path where they walk. And so it is almost like the psychology of that, right? I mean, we see where people walk. You're at a campus. So you know where the sidewalk is and you could see the footpath where other people mm-hmm. tread. So very much like a museum, you do have that kind of, of understanding of human choreography. You know where people walk. You know how they walk, how they, where they want to go. There'll be people who will walk into this museum. Uh, I, I'm in charge of 20th and 21st century art, and they're across a bridge from one another. There are people who will never walk into 21st century, who will always go into uh, the 21st century art. There are people who will never walk through here to get to there. And so because of the architecture of the space, oftentimes people can bypass things. But I'm getting way Mm -hmm. off the subject. If it is coming into a space, particularly an exhibition, that's oftentimes done in concert with an exhibition designer. So I didn't design the installation. I came up with the artwork. I said, this is the way I want people to experience this. There are three distinct sections, and each section has these many works in it. I want people, I mean, so when I came to Daniel Young, who is our exhibition designer here, I said, when they walk into the Dirty South, I want them to go through a baptism. I want them to walk through the Allison Janae Hamilton, which is a projection of, 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 of a camera being drugged behind a boat to in the Wasissa River. So therein you see the visuals of what is beneath the surface of the water, and you are hearing water, because that's how we got here. So, I mean, I knew, again, in terms of this articulation of how I wanted people to experience the exhibition, I knew what I wanted. The question is, who do I work with? How do I achieve the thing that I want? So I do talk to Daniel, who's the exhibition designer, and he say, this is what I want people to experience when they walk Mm -hmm. through. I want them, knowingly or unknowingly, to be baptized before they walk through this space. Because it is a sacred space to me. It is a journey that I want people to encounter as they go through. And the water opens them up to to receiving, right? That's what it's supposed to do. It opens you up to receive. And so it's also just the waterways that got us here as Black people. So I, I'd like to end our chat uh, by giving a little attention to something that was said in passing, this idea of the sacred. And, and I, I'm fairly certain that I agree with you. I, I would argue, yeah, that there's something sacred about this. And, and by that, I mean there's something about the exhibition that pulls us out of ourselves, out of our 
individual lives, our individual selves, our individual considerations and concerns, and pulls us into something that is bigger and greater than us. But I'm wondering what you mean when you, when you say sacred. I, I am looking at the universalities. We create difference, but that's a construction. We're all collectively humanity. And how do we see the humanity in, our, in ourselves? How do we see the universal ideas in our, in our individual lives where we perceive there to be difference? It, it really just touches into an understanding that we're all human, that we are all endeavoring in our own ways to be our best selves. To that, I'm going to say a secular amen. It is always a treat having an opportunity to talk with you. It is always a joy. I learn so much. Folks, I am Anthony Penn. You've been listening to my special guest, Valerie Castle Oliver. The Pin Drop Podcast with Anthony Penn is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. See you next time.